Uh, we're in the book of Matthew, and again, we're, we're learning about what Jesus has to say about the end time. This is the Olivet Discourse. This is his fifth discourse, his fifth sermon in the book of Matthew, and he's telling us about the tribulation period. He's telling about the warnings that we are to, to heed prior to his coming back. Now, this week, we're going to talk about the sheep and the goat judgment. This is actually the judgment of the nations. You're going to find out what this sheep and goat judgment is all about. So if you would, stand as we read the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory with all His angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God. Our Father, we are fully and completely grateful for this time that we can worship you corporately together, that we can study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God, and that we can hear from you today things that you want us to hear. Speak to our hearts Take the callus off our hearts. Take the veneer, our covering away. Take it all away, Lord, and help us to hear from you and respond to what we hear. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And again, we have been in the Olivet Discourse where Jesus has been teaching us what to expect before he comes back. And he talks about the tribulation period. He talked about a main feature of the tribulation period was deception. Deception. He starts out in Matthew 24, verse 4. He says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. Then he goes on to talk about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and all these things that are going to happen in the tribulation period. And we know that deception is a thing that marks the tribulation more than anything. And going into the tribulation, deception is ramping up. You know it, you feel it, you sense it, you've experienced it. Deception, deception. Apostasy in the church will predominate before Jesus comes back. The apostasy means a falling away from the faith. Now, I have a, a verse here 
in 1 Timothy 4.1, talking about the age of apostasy. And it reads this way, the Spirit explicitly, explicitly says that in the latter times, folks, that's where we are. We talk about end times, and then we talk about latter times. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to, uh-oh, deceiving, deceitful spirits, and doctrines of demons. Folks, this is what I think has invaded our world today. It has invaded the United States of America probably like never before in the history of the, of the, since the inception of this country as a nation because we were founded on Judeo-Christian ethics and we had a protection that was over us, but now we have kicked God out and we're experiencing what the rest of the world experiences with all the strange, weird, moral decline that we are experiencing in our country. Deceiving spirits are here. How do I know this is true? Because what you are seeing in our culture today over and over is right being called wrong and wrong being called right. And if you remember Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, in the last days, God, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Woe to them who call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, that is what we are seeing today. The nation of Israel before they went into captivity, experienced this. And we are experiencing this today. We're calling good evil and evil good. Deceiving spirits are in the land. You must realize that. And they're demanding their way with full, complete acceptance. There's no coexist with these deceiving spirits. You must capitulate to all of the new mores of the culture, or you're going to be ostracized. And you may feel that a little bit today. Much of the so-called church has bought into the world's values. And heretofore, Christian denominations are falling like tinker toys, pickup sticks, not tinker toys, pickup sticks. Anyway, it's one of those toys we had when we were little. Dominoes, that's a good one too. Like dominoes, that would be a better illustration. Yeah, they're falling like dominoes. And pastors that were wonderful pastors in these denominations, trained well, are now in seminaries that are teaching them a whole different view of this world. Folks, what we are seeing today is the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist spirit has invaded our world. And zeitgeist means this. It's a German expression for the spirit of the age that we are living in. The intellectual and cultural climate of an era, the experience of a dominant cultural, uh, of a dominant cultural climate. You see this full speed ahead today. Now, what are deceiving spirits producing in our country today? You hear this just about every week. You could just do this sermon yourself. I mean, you've heard this many times. But when we see our culture embracing homosexual marriage, which is not marriage in the eyes of God, doesn't matter how many times they say it's marriage or try to promote that, it is not marriage in the eyes of God. Marriage in the eyes of God is one man, one woman for life. That's what he said. He's the one that ordained marriage. He makes up the rules, not the culture. Not the culture. That's a deceiving spirit. When you talk about there's more than two genders. Now, when you were in school, you never heard the word binary. Well, maybe in geometry or something, but you never heard binary, okay? Non-binary. Gender fluid. You never heard that. Gender queer, bi-gender, and it goes on and on. Those are deceiving spirits. You know what else is a deceiving spirit? Many ways to heaven. That has invaded the church in spades. You can just pick your way, pick your road, and you can just get there because you're such a wonderful, nice person. 
And God's just going to take you any way that you are because you're so terrific. How about this one? A deceiving spirit that Jehovah, which is the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Allah, the Islamic God, are the same gods. No, they're not. That's a deceiving spirit. How about lawlessness, flash mobs, rampant theft, with little or no consequence? Folks, that's deceiving spirits. Prosecutors not upholding the law. Then we have the moral collapse of the nation, which you have seen yourself. And we have the collapse of the home, where divorce is rampant. Cheating on your spouse is rampant. Children in full rebellion. You know that you have deceiving spirits when the children are running the home. And the parents are kind of cowering in the corner, afraid to be parents. The family is being distracted more and more. Guess what by? Technology. And I have this slide here of the, of the average dinner table at America today. Instead of a place where you're talking about your day, exchanging thoughts and ideas, each person is isolated in their technology. Folks, this is deceiving spirits. This is something that's separating and keeping people apart. God is all about community and bringing people together. At the dinner table, folks, I believe that should be a community time. Now, I got to confess, there are times when Chris and I are sitting there, and I pull out my little thing like this, and I start looking something up, and then she'll remind me, we're at dinner, so we put the thing away. We can do that in a few more minutes, or I, I might look something up that we're, look, that we're mutually talking about. But anyway, get off the technology for just a few minutes and have some community in your family. The influence of deceiving spirits is increasing as we march headlong into the tribulation period. That's the whole point of this thing. And Jesus has given us many warning signs. Then Jesus transitions from the tribulation to talking about parables. And he started with the fig tree sign. And you know what the fig tree sign is because you're Calvary Chapel Bible students. It's when the Jewish nation came into existence May 14th, 19, oh gosh, that was so good. I mean, that was great. You great Bible students. Yes, yes, that was the fig tree sign. And then he talked about the days of Noah. Before Jesus comes back, it'll be like the days of Noah, which were awful, as you know, awful, as you know. But also the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and having just a wonderful time ignoring God, ignoring Noah, ignoring Noah was a preacher of righteousness, ignoring what he was saying. That is what the culture is doing today, ignoring God, going about their way as we're in this massive depravity that we're living in. Then we talked about the 10 bridesmaids. Five were ready and five were not ready. It was a warning to be ready. You don't know when Jesus is coming, whether it's the rapture of the church or whether it's your own personal death. He is coming. And guess what? Every single person in this room is going to be leaving here one day. Everyone in, my, in the sound of my voice, you will be leaving one day. Your eternal destiny is determined by what you have done with Jesus Christ, period, period. Every person will be judged, folks. You need to realize that. So deceiving spirits are here. Be ready. The parable of the talents was telling us what to do. While we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we are to work for him, to use what he's given us for his honor and glory. Now, this week we're talking about the sheep and the goat judgments. The second coming, folks, is all about judgment. Verse 31 through 33. 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and other scripture says, you're going to be with him. You're the church. He will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered together. All the ethnos, people groups, will be gathered together before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Notice how he comes. Jesus just doesn't come in some little unknown way. He comes in his glory, doxa, splendor, majesty, the Shekinah glory of God will just burst into the heavens. And we read this a few weeks ago, what it'll be like before Jesus comes back. But it says this, I'll remind you in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, what the world will be like before Jesus comes back. Immediately after the tribulation, this is when Jesus is coming back, of those days, the sun will be darkened, there'll be a total blackening, uh, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. The brightness of His glory contrasted with the darkness of this world, and He will burst onto the scene, burst onto the scene. The King will come in His glory. He'll come with His angels. He comes to rule. He will sit on the throne of His glory, and the nations will be gathered together and separated on the right and on the left, the sheep and the goats. That is what he's saying here. This, And we need to realize something. What I'm saying to you will really happen. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't make-believe. This will really happen. Jesus will return to this earth to rule and to reign. There will be a judgment of the nations. There will be a sheep and goats judgment. Now, when will this, the sheep and the goats be separated? This occurs at the end of the tribulation going into the millennial kingdom. That is the time frame. There, where will be the place of this? Well, it's the valley of Jehoshaphat. How do I know that? Joel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 tells us exactly the place. For behold, in those days, it's talking about Messiah coming, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, second coming, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That is Megiddo, Megiddo. That's, the, that's where Armageddon takes place. And I will enter into judgment with them on the account of my people, my heritage, Israel. What did those nations do with Israel? Who are judged, the Gentile nations of the church, and what is the judgment based on? How the nations of the earth treated Israel specifically in the tribulation period. They will be judged. Now notice, when God judges, he's, he talks about ethnos people groups, but in every people group he has a people, a people of his own. So it's not whole people groups that are condemned, it's the majority, for sure, that have not worshipped Messiah. But there are people embedded in there. Everyone is judged individually, not corporately. That's the point. And every person will be judged. You will be judged at the Bema Seat judgment. The lost will be judged at the great white throne judgment. I'll talk about more about that later. The sheep and the goat judgments, they're separated in different groups, and judgment will occur. We will, at the Bema Seat, where we receive rewards or loss of rewards, the great white throne 
is you're judged for your sins because you refuse to believe in Messiah and your ultimate destiny will be hell separated from God. Now, the fate of those on the right as they enter the kingdom, verse 34 through 36, then the king will say to those on his right hand, these are the sheep, come, you blessed of my father, inherit. Now, just if you have a Bible, just circle that because that's such a wonderful word. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now we have to be careful here because many people in the social gospel venue hang all over this, that this is what you have to do to be a believer, to be a Christian. You have to do all these works. Now these works are done as an after effect of you receiving Jesus as your Savior because you love the Lord and you're being obedient to him. But it sounds like, and if you're you're not careful, it sounds like their works they did merited salvation. Now, I ask you a question, Calvary Chapel Bible students. Is this so? And you're going to say, no, it is not so. You're right. First, note this. They're going to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The key word here is inherit. Why do you inherit something? Because generally, you're in a family. You're in an inheritance from a family. Lineage. You're in the family lineage. Now, how do you get into God's family? By being really good and doing all these works and feeding the poor? No, Mr. Gorm, that is not how you do it. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's believing and receiving the gift of salvation. Believing in Jesus as your Savior. Now, the result of believing is something absolutely amazing, and I hope you never forget this. We inherit what Jesus has. And you might say, really, and a question. And I will say, really, with an exclamation point. We do. How do I know? Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we've been born again, that we are children of God, a family. And if children, and they're, uh, uh, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, hear what John MacArthur has to say about that statement, about inheriting. He says, every adopted child will receive by divine grace the full inheritance Christ receives by divine right. Isn't that an amazing thing? What we get because we just said yes to Jesus as our Savior. No one inherits the kingdom because of what they did, but because of what Jesus did for them. He died so that we may have life. That is so important. Now, I have a question for you, and it might be percolating in your minds right now. If salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, what are all these works about? What are all these works about? And notice that if you did something for the brethren, you did it for Jesus. If you didn't do it for the brethren, you did it and worked contrary to Jesus, either for me or against me. True faith, now hear this loud and clear, true faith and works go together. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot. James chapter 2, verse 17 
and verse 26 say the following. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It is not genuine. It is not real faith. It must be accompanied by works. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James does not mince words here, folks. He does not. One's works will demonstrate if they are genuine or not. That is what the Scripture says. Now, there's a tension here between what Paul says and salvation by grace through faith alone. Remember Galatians 2.8? is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. There's no works involved in your salvation. But there not a, there's not a competition here or, a, or a, a contention between the two. James is actually complementing what Paul is saying, that if your faith is genuine, that will be demonstrated by your life and by the things that you do for the Master. Genuine salvation produces a genuine change. There will be some sort of productivity in your life. Now, again, we're not the ones that are spotting the production, and we're not the ones that are sniffing for fruit to see if you have fruit. And makes, that's not our judgment. Whether someone's saved or not, that's between God and them. But, man, you can get a good idea. You can get a good idea. And somebody that's not living this thing out has no assurance whatsoever that they're really in the family. God may know. I know God does know. But we don't know. So be careful about judging but make sure you examine your own life to make sure that you're in the faith, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourself. So, in verse 37 through 40, the good guys on the right are wondering, when in the world did we do these things for you, Jesus? When did we do this? So then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, in context here, the brethren are the Jewish people in the tribulation period. It's the end of the tribulation. It's those being judged, those nations being judged at the end of the tribulation. But folks, we're also brethren. What we do for one another in the name of Christ counts, counts. But in context, it's the nation of Israel. Now, why do the brethren, the believers, do these things? Their motive for serving, our motive for serving, is love for Jesus, love for the Master. It's not because, oh, you better do this. You better get busy and get working. No, that is not the attitude. It's an attitude of, of, of just thankfulness. And it's, we're so grateful for what Christ has done for us. The Holy Spirit, folks, compels them, compels us today to do what is right in difficult situations. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit compels us to do what is right in difficult situations. The Holy Spirit moves people to action, action. And again, for clarification, this has to do with how the people in the tribulation period treated the fleeing Jewish people that were being slaughtered by Antichrist. That's the picture. That's, that's what the actual context of this is. 
Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, I want you to think about when you hurt God's people, whether it's the nation of Israel in context, that's what it is. And the next verse I'm going to give you, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. In context, it's the nation of Israel, but I believe we can extrapolate from this any of God's people, which are the church today, are God's people. Most of the Jewish people are in, are, 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 have apostatized. They've fallen away from the faith. We're hoping that they come back to the faith. We actually know they'll come back to the faith at the end of the tribulation. At least one-third will. Watch what it says in Zechariah 2.8. He who touches you, speaking of Israel, touches the apple of God's eye, of his eye. It's like poking God in the eye. You're hurting God when you hurt God's people. And God takes it very seriously. So you must know this, and I think you do know this. There will be a time, there will be a time when the entire world turns on the Jewish nation. This will be not just a poke in the eye, this will be a punch in the eye to God. And Now you know this, most have abandoned Israel today. Most view Israel as the problem. If you're into uh, replacement theology, many people in replacement theology, which means that the church has replaced Israel, God has no future plan for the nation of Israel, they believe that the nation of Israel is the problem today. That's most of the church, folks. That's most of the church that came out of the Reformation. Believe this. In the future, I believe that America will turn on Israel. Now, we know today they are supportive of Israel. And I thank the Lord for for doctor, for, for President Biden, that he made the decision to be a supporter of Israel. Folks, that was a great thing that he did. Now, I don't know how happy he was to do that because this country has been slowly but surely moving away from the nation of Israel. But he stood up here, and we've got to say thanks to him for that. The globalist worldview is if you get rid of Israel, you get rid of the Mideast problem. Now, again, I've, you've seen this map many times in our teaching, or one like it, where you have a, a, the whole world, and out of the whole world, you have that one little sliver of land that God has given to his people. And I can't express to you enough, look at this. And this, they don't want them to have this. The whole world here will turn on this little sliver of land and turn against God. But out of the whole world, they, they, they want to deprive God's people of this land. Look at God gave Israel this land. It is their land by his decree. The rest of the world, you can have it, Gentiles. You can have it, whatever you want. But this spot I have reserved for my people. And the interesting thing that I have mentioned repeatedly, and hopefully you will never forget, is that Israel does not go beyond its borders. It's not trying to go into Egypt and take more land there and conquer that. It's not trying to go into Iran or Iraq or anything or, or to conquer that. It stays within its boundaries, its prescribed boundaries. It doesn't try to expand. The Antichrist system is being implemented right before our eyes. We see this happening today. And the global hatred for Israel is growing and growing and growing just Look at the marches that are happening in many major cities throughout the world. Now, also look at what your kids are learning when they go to these wonderful, terrific universities of 
higher learning. Folks, I'm telling you, be very careful about sending your kids to the higher learning centers without them being prepared for what they're going to hear. Now, they might go there, and that could be a mission field for them. But make sure they're ready to hear something totally contrary to what they've ever believed. Godless America, folks, I think will end up on the wrong side of this argument. And I believe today, as America has kicked God out of the culture, we are suffering today with the blindness, madness, and confusion of heart curse that God promised the nation of Israel when they abandoned God. The same thing is happening to us as we've abandoned God. Look at the condition of this country. It is, it is unrecognizable, unrecognizable, and it's growing worse. Now, I want to remind you of something. The Abrahamic covenant is still in force. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3. Now, the Lord has said, had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, you know that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That was upscale, wonderful living area. And then God says, well, you're going to move here where you're rich and wealthy and you have all the stuff of the world and you're going to have nothing and live in a desert for the rest of your life. And then Sarah had to go along with this. And his family, is, you know, he's got family that are going with him and that sort of thing, his kids. Can you imagine the complaining and the whining? I mean, we're going to have to go from this dad to this out here. I mean, yeah, that's what's happening. I, and he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those. This is the key. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How so? Through Messiah. Messiah comes from the lineage of Israel and Abraham. So simply stated, God blesses those who bless Israel. And those who curse Israel end up suffering. So I'm hoping that America sticks with Israel until when? The rapture. Yes, thank you. Yes, don't turn until we're out of here. Please, please pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. That's what Scripture says. The fate of those on the left, folks, is everlasting fire. He does not equivocate on this. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, get away from me. You cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison? Did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, speaking of his brethren, you did not do it for me. Doesn't equivocate here. What you did to the nation of Israel is just like doing it to God. Those on the left are the goats. And I would imagine these are the ones who fought with Antichrist, hunted down the Jewish people, tried to kill the Jewish people. And Jesus' response is unquestionably harsh, straight to the point. Depart from me, 
you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because they did nothing to help God's chosen people in life and death distress. That's what will be happening in the tribulation. Life and death distress. No water, no food, no shelter, no visiting in prison, no nothing. They hunted them down. Now, think about this. Not everyone is going to be hunting down the Jews and killing them with Antichrist rampage at the last half of the tribulation. But there will be people who will buy into the hunting them down in, 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 in their thoughts and emotions. They'll be indoctrinated into the system. They're going to be goats, and they can say, well, I didn't actually do this, but by giving consent to it, you're as guilty as doing it. Remember, in Nazi Germany in World War II, the German people were not innocent. They knew what was going on to those Jewish people that were being cooked in those ovens, gassed in those ovens, killed by the millions in those ovens. They knew it. They were indoctrinated. They thought the Jewish people were not of any value at all and like animals could be just dispensed of. They bought into it. Though they didn't participate themselves in killing them, they were as guilty as those killing them. That's the important thing to remember. Romans 1.32 says this, they know, they know God's justice requires that those who do things deserve to die. Now, in context, this is phase three of when God gives a nation over to their evil desires in Romans. Okay, a depraved heart, a depraved mind. Everything is off the scale, bad. And he goes on to say yet yeah, this, Yet they did them anyway, did these awful things anyway. Worse yet, they encourage other people to do them also. They may not have done them themselves, but they're encouraging other people to do it. Folks, that is guilty. Guilty. You cannot say, I am not guilty because I didn't physically participate, but I was all in with the emotions of it. Now listen to this. Simon Westenthal has a quote that you are familiar with. Maybe you didn't know it come, came from him. For evil to flourish, it only requires for good men to do nothing. Let me say this. For evil to flourish is only required for good men to do nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but that is very convicting to me. Very convicting to me. This is not comfortable, but it is true. Neutral ground, folks, is fading. We want to be in the neutral. We don't want to get into the fray. We want to be in that in-between, that comfortable in-between space where, where I really don't have to do a whole lot. I can just be comfortable. Folks, that's gone. That's gone. Neutrality is gone. The day is approaching where there will be nowhere to hide. You will have to choose to stand or cower in a corner to stand or cave to the pressure to conform or else. Now, let me say this loud and clear. You are living in a free country still. You have a voice still. They do not have a voice in North Korea. They do not have a voice in Afghanistan or Iran. Much of India, is they're losing their voice. 11 of the 29 provinces have laws against conversion now in India, where they can't speak or they're thrown in jail, okay? This is happening. You have a voice. 
You must not be silent. We must not be silent. We must speak the truth, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our friend groups, or when you have conversations. And remember, you do this with gentleness and respect and, 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 and honoring people and that sort of thing. But folks, tell people the truth. Tell people the truth. The eternal destiny of those on the right and the left will be discussed in verse 46. Again, Jesus says, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those on the left, those who are the goats, go into everlasting punishment. Those on the right, the sheep, go into eternal life. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because the word everlasting and eternal, it's the same word, ionios, ionios. It talks about a, it talks about a duration, of, a time without duration, no end forever. Heaven is forever and hell is forever. Why am I emphasizing that? Because many people today believe in an annihilation hell. And Jesus says, no, it's eternal. Listen to what the scripture says. It's a place where, the, Jesus says, it's a place where the worm does not die. That sounds like a long time to me. Where the fire is not quenched. Where the wicked are tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't know where you're getting annihilation here. Although I'd like to believe that. Forever and ever. It's a hard concept to believe. Folks, Jesus warned over and over, don't go there. Whatever you do, remember how, how, how descriptive he was. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. Don't go there. He's provided a way out for every human. It's simply to believe and receive the gift of salvation. Put your trust in him. Believe in him while you can. There's no second chances later on. This is your chance. Now there's all kinds of second chances. Now there's all kinds of do-overs. Now God is great at do-overs and start-overs. He's wonderful. He's gracious and compassionate. He will bear with us for a long time. But when he comes back, folks, that's it. When Jesus comes, everyone's destiny is settled, is settled. And what you've done with Jesus here will determine your eternity. There are no redos once Jesus comes. Is that not, not, I changed my mind, Jesus. I, I, this is a good time. I've taken right up to the last second here. No, no, you missed your chance. And he's warning us about this. He's warning us about it. Some closing thoughts. Now, Jesus is giving us warning passage after warning passage after warning patches. Passages, be watch and be ready. Work for him while you're here. You're living in an evil age, the times of Noah. Don't ignore what's going on around you, that sort of thing. But I want you to realize something. When the rapture occurs, and I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that everyone that goes into the tribulation period will be called an earth dweller. They'll be lost. Not believers, no believers in Messiah go into the tribulation period. So you must realize that. They'll be attacked. The world system will hate them. Well, excuse me, people then come to believe, and then they'll be attacked, and the world system will hate them. Now remember how they come to believe. It's a miracle. The 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7, those virgin Jewish males will evangelize the world. We have the two witnesses in Jerusalem in Re Revelation chapter 11. 
And then you have the miracle of miracles in Revelation chapter 14, where you have the three angels, and one of them goes about with the gospel and tells every single human on earth the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And most people will reject it. But there will be a large, a fair number that will receive it. And we know that out of every tribe, tongue, and nation will be the greatest revival in the history of the world. Most of those people will die for their faith. We read in Revelation chapter, well, excuse me, amid, I have to get this last thing in for, I want to skip it for Maritza. So, amid the carnage and the horror of the tribulation, a huge number of earth dwellers will become tribulation saints. There, I got it in. So, now what will it cost them? Their lives, most of them. Revelation 7, 9 and verse 14. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count. Isn't this great? In the worst time in the history of the world, God will have a people for himself. From every nation of all tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Antichrist killing spree will kill many, many tribulation believers. These earth dwellers will become tribulation believers, will give their lives for the faith, at least the majority of them will. The question is this, how will anyone be able to stand this degree of persecution? How can you stand this? How can you stand for, for this? How are people today standing for this? How are people being burned for their faith? How are people being slapped around and kicked around, treated like a dog? How, they, how are they doing that today? The same way they did it, the same way they did it in time of Christ, the same way they did it in the tribulation period, those people are standing today for one reason, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, this will be the Antichrist in context, by the blood of the Lamb, they were saved and filled with the Spirit of God. Not saved and kind of wimpy Christians. There are, there's no wimpy Christians in persecution, folks. It's all out believers or nothing. It, it, it segues out, segregates out those who are not believers. By the word of their testimony to the death, and they did not love their lives to the death. What happens to the sheep on the right? They enter the millennial kingdom, eternal joy, forever. And now we use those words, and I, I can't express, when, when it says that we inherit what Jesus has, I can't express the, the joy and the majesty of heaven and living with Jesus forever. I cannot, we cannot convey that accurately here in, in our words, in our language. We cannot thousands of years with him in the millennial reign, and then eternity, inherit forever. What happens to the goats on the left? Well, you know that's everlasting punishment. Now, what you may not know is the first stop for those who do not believe in Jesus and they die, they go to a place called torment. Now, we've been to this before. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, we see that there's a rich man and there's Lazarus, the poor beggar. The rich man had everything, and he ignored God. He ended up in torment, separated from God, called death. Death is separation, folks, not non-existence. It's separation. Lazarus has life. 
comfort, rest, and peace in paradise. Now, what you need to know, when Jesus was resurrected, paradise was emptied. And now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Today, when a person dies outside of Christ, they are still in torment awaiting the great white throne judgment. Your hope is the last time you breathe, the last moment, you're instantly in the presence of God. Instantly. Those in torment are awaiting the great white throne judgment. We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. The destination of everyone in that judgment, folks, is the lake of fire. Remember, it says the books will be open. They will, your life will be exposed. And then Jesus will open the book of life. Those people's names will not be written in the book of life. And they, this is terrible, they will be cast into the lake of fire. That word cast is balo. You remember the word balo. That's thrown into the lake of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. It's terrible. No one can say that they didn't know. Folks, we're to watch and be ready. Deceiving spirits are here today. Folks, they're alive and well in this country, as sad as it is. Don't fall for the deception. Stay strong, and by all means, stay connected. Stay connected with one another. Remember, it's the isolated, spiritually weak, those separated from the herd that are garbled up by the roaring lion. And I have this picture, this nasty picture of this lion. I mean, this is Satan, the roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. Be awake, folks. Be vigilant because your adversary, the Satan, that's what that word means. Your adversary, the Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, it comes about as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Look at, he is, he, this is death, okay? What does Satan bring? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Contrast that with Jesus, life abundantly. John 10.10 10 says it perfectly. The thief comes except to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. There's never been a time like today for believers to stay close to their shepherd. This is the time. Don't wander off. Many are falling from the lies. Listen. Take time to listen. In our men's group, Don brought up silence. That's a spiritual discipline that is just lost today. We always have to have some sort of noise. Be still before God. Allow God to speak to your spirit. He's speaking to us. Listen for the voice of the shepherd. He is talking to his sheep. He is calling you. Still your voice. Still the voice within you. Listen for him. And what is he saying? He's saying this. Come and follow me. Don't give up. Don't follow the deceiving spirits. Don't go off to the right or go off to the left. Listen to the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way. Walk in it. Deceiving spirits. Don't listen to them. I'm listening for my shepherd. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I don't know. Are, are you really following Jesus? Have you decided in your heart, with all of your heart, I'm following him no matter what. I am not going to get off course. Remember the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me. Folks, you're going to be alone a lot in this thing. 
still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, follow your shepherd. I love this picture. I love this picture of the sheep. Every head is up. Everybody's looking at the shepherd. Oh, where's he going now? Where's he going? Can you imagine for eternity? We're following Jesus. The bride is always with the bridegroom. This picture is forever. We inherit the new Jerusalem where Jesus is. We are. Oh, where's he going today? Oh, 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 look at this exciting thing. Oh, man, I can't believe this. Oh, this is great. Billions of years later, it's still, this is terrific. This is wonderful. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Follow Jesus. All eyes on Jesus and deceiving spirits will not distract you. Amen. That's right. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that we can put our trust in you, our God. And may we hear the voice of the master, our shepherd saying, oh, follow me. Follow this path. Don't go to the right or to the left. May we be people of the book, filled with the Holy Spirit, listening for the voice of the shepherd. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.